This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guests on Off the Shelf are Marsha Matza and David Dowd. They are partners at Mayor Brown. LLP. Um, and we're today we're going to be talking about the Jedi procurement, sort of what happened, why it happened, what are the lessons learned from it, um, and sort of where do we go from here from the sort of legal procurement perspective. So first of all, David and Marsha, it's been a while. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Roger, for inviting us. Great to be here. Well, let's come looking forward to this conversation. Um, now that uh, the procurement's been canceled and the department is looking towards you know what to do next and a strategy moving forward, and I think maybe towards the end of these two segments we can talk a little about that. But first of all, can you just guys just sort of walk through what happened here? Um, procurement, I guess, has a long and tortured history in terms of just uh, issues around um, the single award versus multiple award in particular. But it's kind of a fascinating sort of textbook story about procurement major procurements where the stakes are really high and what and what can and can't happen so marcia sure rogers i said again thanks for inviting us so this was um a little bit of a trip down uh, memory lane um including looking at some of your um old commentary on the subject uh but i think at the root of what has had become it has i would say has but had become the seemingly endless saga of the Jedi procurement was, at least to me, um, has always been a stubborn, puzzling, never really coherently explained, and of course now disavowed uh, DOD determination to make a single award IDIQ contract that limited competition for cloud services for up to a decade. From at least my perspective, there were a lot of indications this probably wasn't a very good idea, um, just from a procurement policy and a legal standpoint. I mean, we're talking about a contract for what are supposed to be commercially available services. And um, I don't know if any, how many people have had a chance to read that very long Court of Federal Claims uh, decision that was uh, issued in July 2019 in the pre-award protest concerning the solicitation. But the court said that it itself was left with a quote-unquote firm conviction that the agency was headed in the direction of a single award from the beginning. And so obviously someone had made up their mind, but while the statute and regulations permit single award IDIQ contracts, they're disfavored. I mean, the, the regulation, statute and regulations favor multiple award IDIQs. And because um, single award IDIQs are disfavored, there's a justification required by the CO that uh, um, requires, you know, lots of thought and um, considerations. And then there's a, a separate review and justification required by the head of the agency because Congress had prohibited DOD from awarding task order contracts of this size in excess of 100 million to a single source without an additional level of review. 
So maybe that should have been a clue that this wasn't a very good idea. And then if you, again, the best sort, source I think of, of facts regarding what happened, just, you know, set out step by step is the Court of Federal Claims decision because, because it contains a comprehensive background discussion. And, you know, it appears that individuals from what was then the new Defense Digital Service, who were supposed to be cloud experts, I guess the question that, or a point that may have been called into question by the, the change in strategy here, but they lacked a procurement experience that appeared to be, um, you know, the driving force behind the decision. And so at least as the facts that are recited in the Court of Federal Claims opinion make pretty clear, these folks believe that a single award was the only way to go. And, you know, that might have been another clue that additional experience could have been a good idea. And then DOD and its CO, uh, the and the C Undersecretary for Acquisition had to go to some lengths to justify the single award, even though industry, as, as you well know, was complaining loudly um, and, and the extent of industry complaints and the discussion about this might have been yet a third clue. This wasn't a good idea. And Roger, I think you went to the industry day, right? I mean, that was yes. packed, yeah. yes. right? I mean, right. just, just tons of, of interest in this. So lots of indicators that single award decision um, wasn't, wasn't really the right solution. Dave? Yeah, I'd just add, you know, there are, as Marsha mentioned, there are certain approvals that have to be obtained. Um, and there's an interesting tension between the statute and the federal acquisition regulations in terms of which, what exceptions or what circumstances would permit the use of a single award rather than multiple awards. And then the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulation, the provisions are structured such that if certain conditions apply, the agency is not supposed to make a multiple award. And then on the statutory side, the agency, when it's over 100 million, 112 now, can only uh, make a single award if certain circumstances are true. So it's, it's, to some extent, that might have contributed to part of the problem. Um, but in both of those system uh, regimes, the regulatory and the statutory one, the agency could have a single award if the orders at issue are so integrally related that only one party can perform it. And neither the contracting officer nor um, the head of the agency, the undersecretary, made a determination that that was the case, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and so the absence of that suggests that the orders wouldn't be so tied together that only one party could do it. In which case, why not have multiple parties do it, really, as a practical matter? Yeah, can you talk a little bit about, guys, just sort of the policy perspective? I mean, this is, it, I think your point is well taken, just some, you know, the the some additional understanding of the procurement process, um, you know, here and, and the role of multiple award contracts, I think, is important. And that then the tension once again, that, that I kind of see is, you know, there's a lots of talk these days about the speed of need and getting things in place. And here, in a certain sense, they could have addressed that through a multiple award and then having, you know, streamlined task order competitions. But the flip side of that is like this, the nature of the requirements as the department was stating them kind of led them down this path of, oh, we can, we only need, we can only, this will only be successful if we have a single award. Can you talk about that tension and just sort of the, the reason why the policy is a preference for multiple awards? Uh, well, I, I think the preference for multiple awards is pretty obvious, particularly when you're talking about 
you know, what are commercially available solutions is that, that you know, the perception has been for some time now that, that, you know, technology of this nature is moving faster in the private sector. So obviously the government wants to get the benefit of the, you know, the, the analysis, the work, the research, the development that's going on in the private sector. And that's why multiple, that's one reason multiple awards make sense, but it's also commercially available. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting, well, it's really interesting, we can get farther into this as we go, but um, when, the, when the department on July 6th announced that it was canceling the procurement and terminating the contract, it relied on, um, you know, technical issues and, and said basically that, um, uh, you know, that because the cloud computing has changed, um, the changes in the department's requirements uh, were necessary to leverage multi-cloud environments to execute the mission and that the landscape had, had changed so that the approach needed to be different, which is really basically the opposite of what some of the findings were at the time. One of the justifications that the CO relied on under the regulation was her knowledge um, of the market, which I'm sure was based on research um, and information she received internally, and um, whether more favorable terms and conditions, including pricing could be available if a single award was made. Um, so she made the finding that, um, that a single award was more advantageous based on these technical requirements. But here we are three years later and the department's taking the exact opposite position. Right. And Marsha, at that point, at, at, at this point, we have to take a break. But we, when we come back, we'll we'll pick up on that conversation and talk a little bit about you know, where this leaves the department and what they're thinking about in the future and just sort of within the prism of government procurement law and what, what it all means. My guests today are Marsha Madsen and David Dowd, both partners at Mayor Brown. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guests for these segments are Marsha Matza and David Dowd, partners at Mayor Brown. We're talking about you know, sort of the legal policy procurement uh, rules around the Jedi procurement and what happened. And, and in the segment, we'll talk a little bit about the way forward in the future. And then for the second half of the show, just as a heads up, we're going to have Alan Thomas, former commissioner of uh, the Federal Acquisition Service and Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge join me to talk about the business ramifications of JEDI cancellation. But Marsha, back to you. I know you were talking about the requirements and sort of where things were going at the end of the last segment. I wanted to give you an opportunity to finish your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Um, just take a second here. So uh, I think the, the point was that the, the one of the bases for the uh, Justification for the single award was that, uh, that the technology really uh, was was driving that decision, and yet even at the time, and Roger, you pointed this out in a in a, a blog in 2019, there was there's information on the street that said multi-provider IAAS and PAAS strategies would become the de facto standard, and of course that's where with the change that was made on July 6th, that's the big picture anyway, um, conclusion that the, the department reached. And uh, we'll talk more about how they're maybe going to implement it with, with the limitation to two. But I'm going to hand this off to you or Dave. Yeah, I, I'll let you go with your thought and I'll pick up on it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I just want to, it, it struck me as 
unusual in the approach that the department took and that, you know, typically with a with an IDIQ contract, you, you would get the multiple awards and you would have the requirements set such that you could have a large pool of participants and then any individual order, you could have a more limited competition or there might be some companies that compete for orders and others maybe don't. Um, and that's the normal way that IDIQs are handled. And when you do it that way, when you have the lower requirements and a larger pool, you certainly get the benefit of like wholesome competition for those individual orders. But the other thing you get with a, a multiple award approach from the start is you avoid the sort of lock-in, the technology lock-in that you have if you end up with a single contract and there to perform, you lose the benefit of innovation that could come along from other companies. I mean, when, when a commercial uh, service is evolving or developing as cloud has over the last you know, eight or 10 years, it, it's difficult to predict where the future would go and who those who the leaders will be in those in those areas for any given order. And so I think with a multiple award approach with the lower requirements, you can get a larger pool and more innovation as well as more competition for price. Right. And I think you also get speed, right? If you if you do it right, you know, up front and you you establish that pool of contractors, you know, the, the ability to quickly issue and compete and award task orders, I think, is a huge strength in, in, in trying to get the latest and greatest technology to the warfighter as soon as possible. I, I mean, and that's something it's interesting. And I just I, I find I, I'm trying to looking back at it just a bigger picture is. You know, during that time period, there's all the conversation across the department about, um, you know, access to the commercial market and sending up, setting up organizations in Silicon Valley to recruit and, you know, take a look at technology capabilities and comp- new emerging companies and, you know, non-traditional companies. So, so that's all the conversation. But then in practice to set up a contract like this, where you essentially going against all you're preaching about. I, I, do you have a sense of the strategic like thinking along these lines? It just, it seems contradictory to me in looking back. Um, I, I think Roger, part of the answer to your question is that, is it wasn't just driven by those kinds of considerations, at least it appears to be, again, I'm going to harken back to the discussion in the court of federal claims opinion, but one of the things that the, the CEO talked about um, and that the court talked about, was that um, uh, that multiple awards couldn't meet DoD's expectations from cloud services uh, for a number of reasons, but included security concerns. And there were concerns that a, a single cloud services provider might be better positioned to provide security, which got to, and this is a subject we could talk about all day, so we can't talk about it for very long, but, but the whole FedRAMP authorization mm-hmm. process because the the procurement required FedRAMP moderate as a base level for security with the notion that you start there and then there looked like their requirements were going to increase from that point. But it's um, it was a restriction, right? Um, right. That there were um, a DOD has said even today there are only two um, companies with with the right um, right levels of authority to, to proceed at this point, um, even though they've known now at this point now for three years, right? This RFP was July, 2018, um, that, that uh, the, the government's known that they were, they had these requirements. 
So it raises questions about, I think, the FedRAMP process. How did it fit into the acquisition planning? Um, why is it taking so long? Can't it be? Uh, couldn't the department have um, supported that process better? Or couldn't they have been willing to consider companies that were or vendors that were at different levels in that process and help them through support move to the levels they needed? Right. Yeah, that's I mean, we could do a whole show. We probably will do a whole show just on FedRAMP. Um, and the security uh, uh, security certifications and reviews uh, in the future. Keep that in mind, Marcia and David. But um, looking, you know, you you brought it up. It's a great segue, uh, Marcia. You brought up like the, the the department now talking about making two awards at least initially, and then moving, to, I guess, potentially to additional awards. You know, three or four years down the road. It seems to me that's just a different flavor of the same sort of thing that Jedi originally was, I guess it's, um, you know, is it the next, uh, it's a sequel, I guess, of uh, Jedi. Um, You know, do you have thoughts on that? Well, it has the same route, right? I mean, it's, it's the perception. I mean, the, the the department's press release says it's research um, says that there are only two vendors that can meet the department's requirements. So the question is, you know, do you need to look at your requirements? And, and maybe, as I said, support this other process better so that there's more opportunity for people to participate because essentially the government's imposed a barrier on competition. Yeah, one of the challenges, the main challenge here, limiting it to two awards, it's not much different than a single award. I mean, it's different from the legal perspective because there's a, a significant difference between a single award, multiple award, and two, of course, would be a multiple award. But in terms of the technology lock-in and the administrative cost of trying to ramp on other contractors later um, or possibly missing out entirely because the ramp isn't established fast enough so that, that DOD would miss out on some really great emerging opportunity. Um, it would concern me to have a limited pool. I would think you'd want to go, if you're going to go multiple award, you really make it open and you make sure the requirements are set such that you can have a large pool and there may be some orders that you know some of those contractors can't compete for, but it's a lot more efficient to have them on contract to be able to meet that should they you know, progress along the FedRAMP uh, scale or for particular orders that one doesn't need to be more than, um, than a certain level, they could compete immediately for those. So I think administratively, it would be easier if you had a larger pool. And I think in terms of the benefit of innovation, it would be much better for the department to have a larger pool. Right. It goes exactly to 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 that to that point you made earlier that, hey, you got multiple awards. Not everybody can do everything, but you've got some potentially key capabilities, cutting edge capabilities that are available, you know, immediately as opposed to having to go out and reach back into the commercial market to try to find those kind of things. Uh, Marcia, we got about a minute left. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, just one other interesting thought in the department's press release is they say they're going to negotiate with other companies, even though they think they only have two, and it's not clear what that means. But the, um, the at least the department's statements are that they have a desire to leverage multiple cloud environments. And I think the question is that they seem to be struggling with is how to do that. Right. You know, I think, I think Jedi is, uh, is, is, you know, there are going to be multiple sequels here. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's its own um, series, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to find the right term. So it, it's uh, more to come on that. And I'll definitely have you guys come back and talk about the legal issues. And I'd love to get, get you guys on the show to talk more about FedRAMP as well. 
Um, a reminder, everybody, uh, next couple segments, I'm going to have Alan Thomas sort of talking about the uh, business aspects of the cancellation of Jedi and what it all means and some thoughts about utilizing GSA to support the department in its cloud procurement. I want to thank my guests for these two segments, Marsha Matson and David Dowd from Partners for Mayor Brown. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and joining me on the show now is Alan Thomas. Alan is the former commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, and he is currently the Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. And Alan, welcome to the show, and how's your summer been? Uh, been been great so far, Roger. Good good to be back with you. Looking forward to talking a little Jedi today. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah, well, the summer's been better for some and <laughs> not so good for <laughs> others, right? And that's, uh, uh, so let's get to the Jedi thing. First of all, you know, with the cancellation of the solicitation, you know, I think we all, I mean, those in the procurement community thought, you know, this was eventually going to happen. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how we got there? Um, and I w- also want to share with listeners is that uh, Alan wrote a, a nice commentary on Federal News Network talking about Jedi and can be found there on their website. Jedi is dead, but danger is still ahead. How to get better cloud capabilities in less time with less risk. So we'll get to less time and less risk. But first, let's talk about how DOD got to where they are. Sure. Yeah. You know, as I wrote in the piece, I think for me, really the core issue and for for a lot of people when this first came out, right, the the idea to go a single award versus multiple award seemed like potentially a flawed uh, acquisition strategy. And I understand, I'm not a super technical person, right, but I understand from a technical standpoint, hey, you know, we don't want a lot of integration risk, right? We don't want a bunch of different clouds running around and how do, you know, sort of how, how do we connect those? But my sense is in a department as big and complex as DOD, you know, you're always going to have a, kind of a suite of solutions uh, and there's always going to be kind of an integration layer and some risk associated with that. But in order to actually get the capability in people's hands and start to kind of do the hard work, right, of really transitioning the department to kind of cloud-based warfighting, if you will, it made a lot more sense to go with a lot lower risk acquisition strategy, which would start with uh, the foundation of which would be to make multiple awards. You can set standards, you can enforce those standards, but to kind of have it be a winner, winner take all for something that seems big dollars and a uh, long timeline attached to it seemed to really, really invite uh, whoever was the loser to kind of fight to the death, which is what happened. And unfortunately it was the death of the solicitation. Right. When you do, a, I think you're spot on when you do a single award ADIQ that's going to go up for 10 years and you, discuss it as establishing like the technical base or standard for the department. That's such huge stakes. It was high risk. Um, you know, from my perspective too, and I just, I think the market was evolving already, you know, cause, and even DOD has noted the, uh, the market has changed, I thought. And I still think it was already evolving to a more multi-cloud approach. Some of the commercial best practices is you don't have one, you know, cloud provider, you have multiple for security purposes and that sort of thing. So, um, so, so I think you're spot on, but so now let's just turn to the future because the future is now as, uh, the future someone, is now <laughs> as, as someone that's once said, um, so your thoughts on the way forward. Well, so the department outlined a joint warfighting cloud capability approach, right? Which is, uh, I, I call it kind of a, a two-step, right? If you're a dancer, first step is 
that they're you know, going to have essentially two providers, right? Do they feel like already meet the requirements, right? Based on their market research and you know what, what they got through the Jedi process, which would be AWS and, and Microsoft, the Azure solution there. Uh, and those sort of be the providers up until 2025. And then they're going to kind of go and do market research and things and really run more of an open competition that they would award sometime in 20, 2025. There was a little bit of talk also about maybe doing some super fast market research like between now and October and potentially adding in other providers. But I, my sense is they sort of tip their hand, right, in terms of what, what they're going to do. And as I wrote in the piece, it's a little better, right? That's technically a m- multiple award, but it's not, you know, they're still using this directed award authority just to get to those two providers. So you're not really running a competition. So you get some speed from that. But I, I think you kind of are going to replay. That's why I said in the article, you know, danger is still ahead, right? Which is, I think you're going to shut out some major players. And, you know, really it makes sense to, to think about refining requirements at the task order level, right? And let the people who are closest to where the work's being done kind of make the call in terms of what provider to choose. So, I, you know, my recommendation was, hey, streamline the requirements so you can run a much quicker procurement. By the way, outsource the procurement to some acquisition experts, right? Who do this, don't get protested and who really, really know how to communicate and manage industry. It's kind of triangulate a little bit if you're, if you're DOD there so you can get it done quickly and then let the real kind of uh, technical competition happen at the task order level. It gives incentive to some of those players who are behind a little bit, like from a security standpoint to make big investments to catch up and then go, go compete at the, at the task order level. My sense is, it's a, the approach this time is a little better, but I think they still might step in the same hole, which would be unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it, it, as you described that, the thing that I kept thinking about is, gee, they almost could have done what they're proposing to do with the Jedi procurement as a settlement to the protest is splitting it in half. And, you know, I mean, they could, you know, they could always, you know, evolved it that way. Theoretically, it would be possible. I mean, of course, there's, you know, other players in the market, I think, would be concerned about that, but just generally, and, and just in your experience, and I think it's what you're touching on, the idea of multiple award IDIQ contracts and the va- the inherent value in those is that ability to set a high bar in a certain sense and some capabilities you have to have, but uh, but refining it at the task order level. And I don't have a good sense where the department was going initially. Um, I mean, I think you touched on it a, a couple of minutes ago, but from your perspective, you've seen and you managed at, at, at GSA a host of multiple board IDIQ contracts. How did you see those perform at GSA from your perspective? Is that kind of why you led yourself to this, you know, to the article and, and, and your thoughts on it? Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think they performed you know, quite well, right? Again, you can set a baseline of standards, but then give your customers, right? And again, DOD is an incredibly diverse and complex organization, right? You can set some baseline standards, try and to the extent you can minimize some quote unquote integration risk, uh, but then give your customers within that framework some choice. And, you know, man, DOD, as much as any department ought, ought to be worried about getting locked into a relationship with just one or even two vendors, right? We're there in terms of weapons platforms. It's a weird kind of market, right? We ought not get there for cloud technology. And we don't have to, is the good news, right? I mean, there are uh, some of the greatest companies in the world who are in this space who want to compete, right? The solutions might not all be equal right now, but there ought to be incentive for those companies to invest 
and compete hard with each other and uh, over time create much better solutions. You know, I also said in the piece that this is a really dynamic space. And if you're talking about, you know, even between now and 2025, right? I mean, think about companies like Snowflake or companies like this, right? That nobody knew about them three years ago. And all of a sudden, right. boom, right. they come on the scene. They've got a, you know, a different take or a, a solution, right? That might be something the department wants to take advantage of. You got to have a vehicle and a, a strategy that's flexible enough to make sure that those new players and new entrants can be injected into your, into your enterprise, right? So your users can take advantage of that capability especially when it comes to technology, right? It's not static, right? It's a very, very dynamic marketplace, which is what we want. Yeah, and I think the point you're making too, to me is, you know, when you talk about weapon systems, those might have commercial components to them, but they're uniquely, you know, governmental, right? Here we're talking about, you know, a ubiquitous commercial capability that's out there, right? That all kinds of organizations are using and to tie yourself to one, platform in that kind of environment, you will miss out on the technology capabilities, the growth of in things that we don't even know now that two years from now or a year from now, people will be able to do. So to your point. So, you know, Alan, we're right up on the break. And when I come back, I want to talk a little bit more about where the department's going. And, and also in terms of a little bit, I think artificial intelligence as a, you know, as in cloud as a, as a multiplier of that capability. And then I also want to talk to you about um, GSA's role in cloud capability and how um, you made some suggestions in your article about the schedules program and FedSim potentially having a role. Then I get your thoughts on that. So my guest today is Alan Thomas. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest for this segment is Alan Thomas. Alan is former commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service and is the chief operating officer for IntelliBridge. And we've been talking about Jedi on this show. And, you know, Alan, uh, you know, I mentioned artificial intelligence at the end of this next segment. I think, you know, what I wanted to ask you about is the, the Jake and you know, some of the things he's, it's doing and, you know, kind of contrast that a little bit to, you know, the Jedi program and how, how maybe some, there's some lessons learned there. Yeah. I, I think that the, you know, the approach that the Jake has taken, right. And you think about artificial intelligence, right. In some ways, just like cloud, right. It's a hot technology area, clearly going to be central to the department, you know, in the, in the years ahead. Right. How did the Jake sort of approach trying to bring contract vehicles and put capabilities in users' hands versus how did the JEDI program, right, kind of approach that. I think it's pretty clear at this point, you could say, look, the JEDI is still a little bit stuck in neutral. They've got a go-forward strategy, which they're talking about, you know, which I said in my piece, I think there may be still some risk there, but they've, you know, they're on sort of the second time around with the strategy there. The Jake, by contrast, has, I think, been successful, right, in uh, putting some tools out there, putting some contract vehicles out there, actually getting real capability into users' hands in the department so they can start to think about how they're going to leverage that to defend the country. Just from an organizational perspective and kind of a strategy perspective, and those two approaches were different. And I think you know one so far has clearly superior, right? Because again, it's gotten capability out into users' hands um, so that they can start to think about how they work that into defending the country. Right. And again, as capabilities and technologies uh, evolve, 
you know, you want to have multiple different irons in the, in the fire, right. From an artificial intelligence perspective and from a cloud computing perspective, right. And, and the nexus between the two. So turning um, back to some of the interesting points you made in your article, you know, one of the things you talked about is the opportunity to partner with uh, outside acquisition organizations, folks with really strong track records, um, you know, that DOD. And I, I think that's a healthy and a, and a, you know, business savvy approach to things to, you know, you bring somebody else who you hire to help you figure it out. And, you know, they can have a little bit different perspective than the, you know, sort of parochial or institutional perspective. And I think that can be very beneficial. Um, your thoughts on that, in particular, your thoughts on FedSim, which is one of the organizations that has a great track record in supporting the department, in particular on major projects. That's right. I did, I I mentioned that in the in the article, and I, you know, as you say, I I do think it's a savvy move. It does require the organization that brings in somebody from the outside to you know to be able to kind of square that away with their pride, right? Sometimes you want to use your internal resources, you know. We, we can do this. We're the Department of Defense, right? We're the, you know, right? We're the largest department in the government. Hey, we, we can do this. But I think particularly in a case like this, where, uh, you know, there's a lot of heat and light and attention on a procurement, having a third party, as you said, who can provide an independent perspective to you is helpful. Think about it. This is all they do. They do big, large, high value, high risk procurements for a living. Right. So if you're, you know, hey, if you think you have cancer, are you going to go to your general practitioner, right? Your family doctor, or are you going to go to a cancer specialist? Well, I'm probably going to go to a cancer specialist, right? Because this is kind of all they do, right? They've seen thousands, thousands, right? It's not always the case when you go to your internal procurement shop. And I think there's real, you know, there's data, right, in terms of cycle time, right? Hey, assisted acquisition teams for big complex procurements get things done more quickly. And industry will tell you, you, you know this, Roger, I certainly heard it when I was in GSA and I would talk to different folks in industry. Industry will tell you, look, the requirements are often better, right? They're more refined. Having a third party look at them and really question the technical folks and the customer produces better requirements that are better understood, which allows us to put together a more competitive bid, which, by the way, is less likely to get protested. And that's a huge uh time factor here, right? Is if you, you know, which is what we saw with Jedi, right? A drug on for a couple of years, right? So I think there's a lot, it makes a lot of sense to bring in somebody from the outside. There's a fee, but you get what you pay for and the fee is well worth it. Right. I think that's a great point about requirements because one, obviously one of the biggest fights around Jedi was the requirements and how, you know, how things are written and whether or not it was, you know, really truly, you know, reflected minimum needs. How was, was it restricting, unduly restricting competition and another great point you make is is the fact that if you bring in an th- independent third party to help, you know, look at what you're doing and then communicate and execute on your behalf, you can take a lot of heat off yourself. And I think there's, you know, it does increase, I think, trust in industry as well that, you know, it's an additional good set of eyes looking at it, you know, you know, uh, along with those within the department. And it's interesting that note, you mentioned that it does, it, the cycle time is better. That's um, to the other fact is that, a lot of these organizations have pra- best practices they've put in place for actually conducting the procurement once you get beyond the requirements development phase. And, uh, and there's a level of certainty that makes for a more efficient procurement. Is that your experience? That is my experience. And I will tell you, you know, when you hire somebody in from the outside and you're a paying customer, 
you oftentimes get a different level of service than you do from <laughs> your internal shop. I mean, the chuckling and what, you know, but, but it's true, right? No, I, I'm um, laughing because, yeah, yeah, I know exactly yeah, yeah, what you're saying. No. Yeah, well, that's, that's very true. I mean, back in my day, it was the Federal Computer Acquisition Center I worked for that did a big procurements on behalf of other, other agencies along with FedSim. And, you know, that was one of the things that you heard. Like, I, I get more attention, more focus. Yes, yeah, it's a customer kind of relationship, right? Versus, uh, it's, just, it's just different when it's external versus, versus internal. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned in the article is uh, the schedules program uh, as potentially, I guess, playing a role uh, as GSA, you know, builds out its capabilities there. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. I, I, that kind of last point in the article was just to talk about this opportunity, if you're DOD in a little bit different way than you have been. I mean, I think messaging matters. And there, there was a story around Jedi. It was clearly a good, a good story. The trade press liked to cover it. The Washington Post team covered it some. But I think if you step back from just that single procurement and talk really more about a suite of opportunities that would include the professional services around, you know, kind of lifting, shifting, refactoring things in the cloud and potentially the, the addition of, you know, new vendors and new capabilities, it would make sense also to think about it as potentially a suite of acquisition solutions that might serve your customers in DOD. And while you, DOD, might be putting in place the kind of main contractual vehicle that's going to uh, serve a lot of those requirements, there may be some other solutions around the edge that you could add. And one of them, as I suggested, is you know GSA had an RFI out for this enterprise cloud capabilities as part of the schedules program. You know That might be something that you would sort of include as an addendum, if you will, or another solution that your customers might be able to leverage for capabilities. It wouldn't be the main place people would go, but I think it does make sense to take kind of a broader approach. You know, DOD's got, there's no cloud, right? Even, yes. even within DISA, right? So this kind of, even within DISA, there's a bit of dissonance as you, you would say, right? And then you've got uh, Air Force Cloud One, right? An army standing up a cloud management office. So that, you know, departments already got kind of a suite of solutions out there. It's not clear if they're all coordinated. This, this could be an opportunity to sort of make sure that everyone's singing from the same sheet of music and add in some whole of government capabilities like what GSA is working on the schedules program, right? To really put together kind of a thoughtful set of acquisition solutions that customers in DOD can use. Right. So we have about a minute left. I'm going to give you a chance to sort of sum up your article and, you know, the, what you talk about in terms of how to get better cloud capabilities in less time with less risk. Sure. So streamline the requirements and go multiple award right away, right? Don't wait till 2025. Bring in outside experts who know how to do this, can do it in less time and are much less likely to get protested. Uh, and then third is talk about the opportunity in a much broader way, right? Don't just talk about a single opportunity, have a strategy, talk about a kind of a suite of capabilities uh, and try and make this as attractive as you can to potential new entrants because it's technology and it's dynamic and it's not a solution for the here and now it's a solution for the here and now and something that you're probably going to have to be living with five years down the road. And in the technology space, I don't know what it's going to look like five years down the road. I just know it's going to be different than now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Just some great thoughts there. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of moving forward with the acquisition strategy. So I want to thank my guest today, Alan Thomas. Alan is the chief operating officer at IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. 
You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.